Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, My First Season. My name is Greg. Today's guest and I have never uh, met before, but we do share something in common. Both our first seasons were in Turks and Caicos. His was in summer of 99. Mine was five years earlier in summer of 94. I did hear about him, though, through a mutual acquaintance, an ex-GO who's uh, living in Arizona. I was doing my last season in Israel and she emailed me to tell me someone had written a book about their experience at Club Med. So this was around 2005 when I heard about it. So I immediately ordered it from Israel, devoured it. And my guest is here today to talk about his first season as a scuba geo in Turks and Caicos in summer of 99. Everyone, please help me give a warm welcome to Mr. Vijay Padre Moshel. Hey, Vijay, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you today? Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for agreeing to come on. I really appreciate no it. No problem. All right. So I think you know a little bit how this uh, goes. So you said you were a scuba instructor. So when did you get bit by the scuba bug? How old were you? Uh, it's probably about 96, I think. Oh, yeah, really? I would say, yeah, 96 or 95. Oh, I thought you were going to say, you know, I was 13 or 14 and, you know, I went to the Y. Okay. So, wow. So what, what brought that on? Like, what, what made you say, I want to become a scuba instructor? I had gone to Turks and Club Med specifically in 95. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say 95. And uh, at least that's where I'm going to stick to anyhow. And For the vacation? scuba diving was, yeah, I went on vacation. And when I say by accident, I was really wanting to go down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, with a friend of mine. And our travel agent recommended this because the vacation was on sale. It was super cheap, a lot cheaper than staying in the States, and we both had passports, so we said, let's go. And part of the package was free scuba diving, so I went, and that's where I got my first dives in, was in Turks. They had, uh, they actually had free scuba diving as part of the package? Yeah, it was airfare, I remember vividly, airfare, a full week, the only thing that wasn't included was bar and alcohol. And and there was a scuba diving package attached to it, and it was a little over $1,000 U.S. Okay. Did you get fully certified, uh, like open water one while you were there, or just resort dives? No, strictly the resort dives. I didn't want to muck up my vacation by, uh, by having to read books and study things and take tests and all that, so... We just went and we did the resort dives. So we did two days worth of classes and shallow training off the beach. And then it's like four days out of the boat. Yeah. All right. So your vacation ends, you go home to New Jersey, and then you decide to become a full instructor? I decided I definitely wanted to get certified. That was okay. sure. And I thought about it and thought about it and signed up for the certification classes. And... I went back down to Turks, uh, I think maybe early 97, and actually got certified down there uh, as open water in my uh, final four certification dives down there. And when I came back, that was when I made the decision I wanted to become an instructor. Where did you do your instructors? Uh, I did it all here in New Jersey, believe it or not. Banged it all out in probably a little bit less than a year because I remember finishing up the instructor's evaluations in New Jersey in February, the last of the dives that I needed for the uh, for the class in a quarry in Pennsylvania, oh, breaking through the ice and you know, <laughs> yeah, I was just water. 
I was going to say, what's it like, uh, you know, diving in the crystal blue azure waters of the Caribbean and going to like, you know, the East River of <laughs> what's yeah. so you're kind of spoiled in the way you did your first dives in the ocean, whereas I did mine here in Montreal and it was horrible, zero visibility. And I vowed never yeah. again to dive in a, in a place until I could see my hand, you know, so you, you were actually yeah, very, very lucky <laughs> you did your first dive. Well, in the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, just putting on the equipment in a bathing suit and jumping in the water versus a dry suit, gloves, and a hood, yeah. all the other rigmarole. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it was cold. It was chilly that day. It was actually warmer 50 feet down than it was at the surface by about 20 or 30 degrees. Because this quarry has a year round temperature. When you get down to about 50 feet, yeah, it stays at about 55, 58 degrees year-round. So it was warmer down there. And when I say breaking through the ice, it wasn't like a, we didn't have to go out with like a hammer or a pickaxe or something. It was just a very thin layer because it was below freezing that day. But when I did finish up the first dive and came up to do a surface interval, we're going down to the second one, it was starting to snow. So okay. that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the way it was, yeah. So you'd gone to so you got to Turks twice. So I'm trying to figure out the odds. The odds that you start applying to Club Med and you get sent to Turks for your first season. So, um, so did you apply as soon as you got your instructors? Did you apply to Club Med, or you did it just before you knew you were going to get your instructors? Like started applying to Club Med. Having been there twice and having an interest in the sport, I was paying attention to the other instructors or the instructors that were at Turks at the time, and. I just had a gut feeling that not many of them had much experience just in the way they handled themselves, the way they acted on the boat, things of that nature. So I decided to stay in New Jersey for like a year, year and a half, and I, I must have taught about 20 or 30 classes consisting of anywhere from three to six people, did a couple hundred dives up here in the cold water, and just to get some experience under my belt. and. It wasn't until the beginning of 99 or the end of 98 that I found out the job I had at the time was going south. And when I say south, down to Mexico and up to Canada. So they were closing our operation. And I figured, well, this is going to be a good time to you know, start looking for a diving gig if I wanted to, be able to do it. Because I was about ready to take a year or two off and just get away from the mind you know, have myself some fun and actually start living life. So that's what I wound up doing. I guess it was early 99. I started calling Club Med. They actually said, well, you're, you're going to, you're going to Turks, right? That was your first shot. Well, it was a long involved process and it was completely out of the normal. I sent them a resume and never really heard anything back. At that time, the internet was here, but you know, not everybody was using it. And I didn't have access to it at work. One of my coworkers did, the IT guy, but he was still fumbling through it too. I had no idea to go like your club website if there was such a thing at the time and, and actually apply online. Or so I just started calling them and talking and recruiting. In, I guess it was in Miami. And so I never really filled out an application. I never went through an interview or an audition or anything. Actually, it was probably like within about five weeks. They just got back to me after me calling them at their request. They said, get back to us in you know five days. Get back to us in seven days. And I just kept doing that. 
I got back to him one day, and they said, can you leave on Saturday? I said, yeah, fine. They uh, FedExed me the tickets, and that day after I got off the phone with them, I went to my boss's office and said, uh, and he's like, why? <laughs> I was like, well, we don't know how much longer we're going to be here, so I'm not sticking around for it. Plus, I was just offered a job in the Caribbean, so I'm going to take that. They want me to go on Saturday. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Have fun. And that was the end of that. Well, it's good you, you went there, you know, twice on vacation because you already knew the hours the geos worked. You knew all the rules. You got to eat with the guests. So, in a way, you didn't really need the uh, interview process, I'd say, since you'd already been there twice. I guess you weren't, you didn't have a problem with the hours at the time, though probably in 99, I think that's when the day off started, right? Yeah, there's a funny story attached to that. I'll get to it in a minute. But okay. yeah, I knew it was going to be long hours, but, you know, I was doing the nine to five here, and then I didn't spend a lot of time at home. I was out with my friends, you know, during the week. So I'd be out until like midnight, one o'clock, hanging out in bars, not getting smashed, totally stupefied, but just socially drinking, watching ball games or, you know, back at that time, oh, I think we still had quite a few, you know, little clubs all over the place that had live music three or four nights a week. So we'd go someplace like that and just hang out. Yeah. So the hours didn't really bother me that much. I was going someplace with this and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, you said you were going to share a funny story about, you know, not having to do the uh, interview because you being on vacation, you already saw how the geos worked and what they had to do, right? Shows, crazy signs and all that. Yeah, yeah. So I pretty much knew what was going on and I was fully prepared for it. Plus, you know, with any job, once you're there for a while, you in and out. So they tell you you've got to do this, but there's always a way around it. So I figured there was going to be a few of those here and there. So I had no problem. So are you much of a dancer before club? Yeah, I had no problem participating in shows. I just didn't want to. Yeah. When I first... <laughs> no, I mean, I've done theater before and I'm used to being up on stage in front of people. So I wouldn't say I'm 100% comfortable with that. You always get those little butterflies here and there. But, you know, none of that bothered me because I was never going to see any people again and plus most of them were going to be drunk at the time while i was doing it so who really cared but sorry did you say you did theater yeah i did theater for a while nothing to write home about nothing to make a living off of just regional theater community theater things of that nature never got into music theater because i really can't sing that well so i kind of stayed away from that but they came up to me after i was there for about a week or so and uh, they asked me what shows I wanted to be in, and I told them none. <laughs> and they were like, what? <laughs> and I was like, I was told by your office that because I was scuba, because of the schedule, I didn't have to participate. Anybody that's done that type of thing before will tell you the performances are a piece of cake. It's rehearsals that will kill you. They weren't fitting rehearsals in at like, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning till lunchtime or anything like that. They were always at like midnight or 1 a.m. Yeah. I wasn't going to stay up until three in the morning doing some stupid dance routine when I had to be up at seven thirty to get my butt to the boat to get to work. So I just told them flat out, "No, that all worked out in the end, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get around to that." <laughs> I guess. So, did you acquire your your nickname as Padre? So, did you acquire that in Turks or before? That was in Turks. They thought I looked like, I can't remember the actor's name, but they thought I looked like Father Mulcahy on the MASH TV series. Oh, okay. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah it was some stupid, you know, meet the guests 
night or something that we had to do, I wound up wearing a straw hat similar to the one that actor wore on the show. And I was wearing glasses at the time. And they said, oh, you're Father Mulcahy. Well, you're Padre. And I'm like, yeah, fine, whatever. Yeah. All right. So you're a uh, you're so a scuba geo in Turks. Can you give me your best uh, clean, appropriate JoJo story? Uh, <laughs> Everyone's got see. one. You must have one. Yeah. I hadn't really seen JoJo that much or up close up until this point. And I had both three people, two Canadians, husband and wife, and a French dude from Paris that were taking the uh, uh, resort course. And I had them off the beach uh, in front of the club doing uh, doing basic skills and making sure they got uh, work you. And while I was demonstrating taking my mask on, made them repeat it for me. I'm looking, and when you take your mask off underwater, everything becomes incredibly blurry because the amount of pressure the water is putting on your eyes just pushes everything, it pushes your eyes out of focus. And there's something behind the woman. And she was a little nervous to begin with, going in the water and everything. And now I can't tell what this thing is behind her so I took my mask back on as quick as I could and her eyes are literally filling up the inside of her mask and her husband's sitting there dumbfounded the look on his face and I just kind of reached out and, and grabbed her hand and at that point everybody took hands the French guy he was smiling past his regulator you know and it was Jojo upright in like the dolphin mating position yeah. they go vertical yeah, and he was sitting there nudging her in the butt. Yeah, he Jojo was nudging her in the butt with his nose and pushing her along in the sand. And then he circled around us a couple of times, and you know he was content to hang out. And I took my spare regulator out, pulled her loose some air bubbles for him, and he opened his mouth and kind of like nodded his head, and then he kind of like swam away to go visit another. And that was my funny Jojo's. <laughs> you know, I did run into him several times after that, but it was usually when I was diving by myself off the beach. In fact, he scared the hell out of me one day. I used to just get away from the, just to get away from the noise, the crowd, and the bother of everything. I used to just grab a tank and, and dive off the beach, which was a good way to get sunglasses, t-shirts, sometimes money, wristwatches, you know, all kinds of stuff out there. And I was used to having people, you know from uh, the sailing end of the beach, you know, going out of control, sailing all over the place. So you'd see the shadow of the boat on the sand in front of you as it went over your head. And I saw this big shadow going away one time. It was like, oh, another idiot on the boat that's out of control heading for Ocean Club, the next hotel down. And as it turned out, the shadow came back and it stopped over me. And I'm like, what the heck? And so I kind of like rolled over on my back thinking I was going to see a shark or something, which is kind of stupid. Sharks don't normally stop like that. But it was JoJo just sitting there, you know, looking at me like, you know, what the heck are you doing? You know, and I'm there with my little catch bag filled with, you know, sunglasses and whatever. You know, I managed to pick up that day. I would pick up some garbage here and there. If it struck me, you know, to be so kind-hearted, but, you know, Mostly, I was just in it for myself, but I've been nose to nose with him a couple of times. It's just been interesting. <laughs> it's a hell of a thing seeing a wild dolphin and interacting with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the other reason it kind of scared the heck out of me is because I actually did interact with a shark right off the beach one day. 
And uh, that was a little scarier than, you know, playing around with JoJo. And I thought somebody bigger had come, come by to, you know, see what I was doing. But it really scared the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah. About, but, uh, how long, about how long did you spend in Turks that first season? Was it just like six months? Um, I actually got there a month ahead of contract. Well, I had a seven-month contract because so I was going a month early. So I did the first season was seven months. And then I stuck around for another season after that. So it's okay. like 13 altogether. You probably didn't have any culture shock when you when you got there, right? Like, um, I don't know, European culture shock, since you'd already been there as a guest twice. Uh, that yeah, probably I mean, phased you, right? I had backpacks all over Europe when I was younger. So I was kind of like used to that. Okay. And everything. It's such an Americanized club. You know, there's the only culture shock you have is... People trying to drag you out of the dance floor, trying to involve you in activities, things like that. You know, so I, had, I had no problem with that. You know, do you, any, uh, do you have any problems working on Christmas or New Year's, or you didn't care? It's just regular days for you. Um, it's pretty much regular days for me. You know, Christmas came and went. I think I spent New Year's during the century. I was in scuba equipment in the pool operating some kind of stupid water cannon they had to make a fountain in the pool yeah. while they shot off fireworks. I think it was even in the uh, Geo newsletter, they had a picture of the pool at Turk, so you can see me, just barely see me, like three or four scuba Geos floating in the pool while they're shooting off fireworks. So, well, they yeah, still it was have, just another day. They still had that cannon, huh? <laughs> Yeah, a little piece of uh, PVC pipe with a bunch of scuba hoses in it, yeah. a couple of tanks, you know, <laughs> nothing fancy, yeah. you know, that's club man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we used that uh, my first season. We also did that in the ocean, too, that fountain. <laughs> yeah. Did you have time to learn any uh, new skills there, or you were just so busy with scuba that you didn't, you couldn't be bothered to learn anything else? Never made it to circus, never really had the ambition to. I got out to play tennis by myself a couple of times, but basically I just played against the practice ball. Um, I didn't really feel like playing with anybody else. I think that was when we were on our two-week break, because about, I want to say October and November 99, they shut the place down for two weeks to do renovations, and they kept us all on site. So all the guests left, and 100 geos had Use of the property. Um, you didn't have to work. You didn't have to work. No. no. Wow. That's <laughs> no guess. No never, work. Never, you know. Yeah. Well, I I've had no guess and had to clean up after a hurricane. So yeah, I've never had that experience. Wow, that's pretty lucky. <laughs> well, they were doing renovations. I mean, yeah, I could do basic carpentry and some plumbing and stuff, but I wasn't going to be stupid enough to tell them that they they actually brought in contractors from off island. I think, or I would imagine. And you know they hired local crews, and they came in. They redid the uh, redid the restaurant. They redid the bar. I think they drained the pool. They redid some of the tiling on that. And, yeah, because this has been going on. This has been going on for some time. I mean, I think by the middle of summer, A, B, and C buildings kind of like walled off. Like literally, they had built a fence with like plywood and two by fours, and they were actually renovating rooms at the time. So, did you have any you hurricanes know, they, at your time? Yeah, we did. It was, as a matter of fact, the worst one we had came through a day after we got all the guests out 
for our two-week shutdown for when they were going to attack the, the bar and the restaurant. Wait a minute. So the hurricane came before the renovation? Like, well, they like, started with the guest rooms, and okay. they decided this is taking too long. It's going too slowly. We can't piecemeal it. Plus, the property looked like crap. If you were walking down to Scuba, you were like walking through a construction zone. You know, there were used nails and, and screws and stuff on the sidewalk, pieces of lumber here and there. So they got those couple of buildings done, then they decided we're going to shut down the new major portion of the, the village. And I don't think D, E, and F buildings, they were going to touch too much. They just basically went in there and threw in TVs and stuff. But, yeah, it was like a couple of days before they actually started starting the heavy-duty renovations. And um, we got rid of the guests on a Saturday and came through there on Tuesday. Yeah, we were lucky. We didn't have anybody in the village, and there was no rush to clean things up. You know, I think... The most work I did was the preparation for it coming in, running up and down the beach one day and like 80 mile an hour winds, stacking up chairs and stuff and tying them together. And that was about the extent of it. Do you have any uh, stories or experiences you could share with us? Like some funny episode or, I mean, other than the, well, the JoJo? We were talking about uh, me doing shows and stuff. And I said how I just told flat out that I was doing it. So maybe next season. As in, like, maybe you'll forget about it and never ask me again. There were a couple of, you know the way the chiefs of villager, right? They have that standard routine. Either a new chief comes in to take over a team or a new team comes in to join the chief. Usually within a couple of weeks, they'll fire one or two people. You ever have that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that's like standard operating procedure, I guess, so they can put their foot down. Well. The one chief in village I had my first season put his foot down too soon. The people he should have fired were actually on scuba team. And once he got rid of the people, you know, put his foot down, these scuba GOs, you know, knew the, knew the routine. And they just, they started with the shenanigans and outright destruction of, of property within the village and drunken rages and, and things of that nature. And as a punishment, he gave the scuba team this foam machine that they had imported from Cancun because they weren't using it up there. They stopped doing whatever they were doing. Now, everybody's talking foam party, and I'm like, you know, what the hell? You know, I had no clue as to, as to what was going on. And somebody explained to me, yeah, we fill this thing up with soap. The fan spins. It fills up an area with soap suds, and everybody dances in it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, let's, let's get these nice tiles around here in the theater all nice and slippery wet, a bunch of barefoot people in there dancing. You know, we're going to see some broken ankles, fractured, you know, elbows and stuff like that. So he gives it to us, and he says, you guys better make this a good party. Otherwise, you're going to be up to your neck and you know what. I'm like, okay, so you're punishing all of us because of the actions of two or three people instead of just firing them. But you can't fire them now because it's kind of late in the season and it's going to make him look bad. So we go and we throw this party and everybody's trying to emcee it, get the action going and get things started. and 
literally all the guests are a good 30, 40 feet away from this thing, just kind of like looking at it, like, what's going on? There's nobody out And the microphone got passed from one Scooby Geo to the next, to the chief of Scuba, to the next, to the next, to the next. And funny how the troublemakers weren't even anywhere to be seen that day. Finally, the microphone landed in my hands. I'm like, you know, what the heck? I can make a plug of myself, and, you know, nobody's going to know, and it's going to care. At least nobody can tell me I didn't try. And that is how I wound up hosting the phone party at church. We started it up back in 1999, and it turned into kind of a big deal. You became the permanent host of the phone party? Yeah. So if I wasn't doing shows, too bad. I had my own freaking dance party one hour every week, you know, and I had to host it by myself with the help of animation and the DJ and everything, you know, and that was that. So if they wanted me to do a show, that was definitely a show now, wasn't it? And it turned into quite a, quite a thing. Everybody seemed to really like it, and it was popular. And we didn't really get things going all that well the first time, but the next time, the next time, it just kind of sort of grew. And I just kept, you know, doing what I was doing, repeating stuff from the week before, coming up with new material, because it was a cross between, for me, you know, going out and talking to the guests on microphone and doing a little bit of stand-up comedy and just making stupid observations, you know, just trying to keep everything flowing along, you know. Uh, Whenever the bar team was there, like, trying to sell shots, you know, I'd be interacting with them and talking it up, you know, just keeping it moving in a positive direction. And can you give us an idea of what you would say? Like what what was uh, part of the, uh, the comedy the comedy part? No, I can't <laughs> because right, you don't you. want me to. <laughs> thank you. Yep. Yeah, we'll stick, we'll stick with that. <laughs> it was adult themed <laughs> humor, right. and uh, yeah, Turks is still uh, currently, I believe, uh, eighteen year and older village. So yeah, was uh, and it was a different time in ninety nine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the stuff that was relatively clean was still very suggestive. Got it. And I was probably the only person on microphone. Think about that. Yeah, you know, the, the nickname, first of, season, the nickname you know, of Padre, three the months, Padre, too, you know. Yeah, <laughs> three months into my first season, I'm on microphone hosting my own party, and I'm dropping F-bombs everywhere, you know. And depending on the on the crowd, you know, and we did get a lot of late 20, early 30-year-olds from, like, the New York and New Jersey area. And they were, like, completely comfortable with this, you know? The one thing that never went over is the fact that my chief of village wasn't American. He wasn't Canadian. He came up to me one day, and he was like, I don't understand your jokes, but as long as it gets laugh, I guess it's okay, so you can keep saying them. And he turns around and walks away. And I'm like, yeah, okay. (laughs) But um, there was a couple of times I guess he gave a little full-frontal nudity from some of the women. Oh, boy. Yeah, that worked out, you know. So you can imagine. Did any uh, celebrities uh, come to your phone party, or did you meet any celebrities your time in Turks? There's only one I can think of. His name was Donnie Edwards, and at that time he was playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, I think. He was a running back. Okay. Big guy. Yeah, big football player. He was 6'3", 6'4", 260 pounds, maybe. I actually certified him to scuba dive. He done all the classes on the mainland. And then he came down there with a couple of friends, and they just did their four dives. And I took him and his friends out and did their four dives and signed off on his certification. 
And now that I think about it, he was there the week we had the phone party. I'm pretty sure I've got a picture somewhere, but it might even be up on my Facebook page, of the first phone party. And he's standing like in the middle of the crowd. And you pick him out because he is the middle of the crowd. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Big. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you contract your i guess both contracts came to an end did you request a second season in another resort no when my first contract came due i asked them to stay and they let me so i stayed in turks and by that time i knew that columbus was a couple's village and i figured i'll wait a while before i go there you know i still have some energy even not doing the nightly shows, just doing my own thing and job and everything. I was still pretty kind of run down. But I did want to stay at Turks. And so I stayed there for two seasons. And then we had um, some unfortunate incidences and that and my lack of uh, sleep, just being run down from the grind for so long, kind of got to me. So I left in my car. Well, yeah, scuba, you know, for those that don't dive, uh, makes you extremely tired. Like, so you guys had to do a two tank dive in the morning, a one tank dive in the afternoon. And then of course, you know, the night dive, I guess you were still doing night dive with barbecue after. Yeah. I mean, there were days where I did four dives. I did two in the morning, one afternoon dive, and then I'd take people out on the night dive. I didn't have so much of a problem with that because I didn't have to space out my day and get my surface intervals in not to exert myself but honestly at, at that point in time there was nobody above the village love club met i think that really knew anything about diving other than maybe they had a certification card and had gone a few times and they didn't realize what this kind of a schedule was doing to people and you know it was all the other stupid stuff that we had to do that was time consuming aggravating and you know that that's what led up to, to me wanting to go the chief of village i um i don't know whether it's club policy he was just not thinking right from the turn of the century from 1999 to 2000 new year's eve we had an extravaganza plant and he was going to literally stop the party every 15 minutes so that we could do like little skits on different stages all over the main area of the village. And that didn't make any sense to me because the party started at like 8 o'clock. You know, people were like already going to the bar while dinner and coming back into the dining hall. And, you know, way before crazy signs, way before any of that stuff, the party was in full swing, I think, I would say 9 o'clock in the evening. And I'm thinking, you're going to stop the party just to do these skits and everything. It's like, just let it roll. Everybody's having a good time. I mean, we had the main bar. We had two other bars set up. They put in some mood lighting, pool stuff. And that's all we needed. I mean, we had, you know, Close to 600 people there from New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania, Connecticut. You know, these people know how to party. You know, you don't have to show. You know, and the music's going, everybody's drinking, people are dancing, let it roll. And at about 9.15, the word came around the village. It's like, okay, we're just forgetting all the skits, just 
have the party, and that's it. You know, that was like the smartest thing that guy did while while he was there. So, so, you, so you did your Y two K, your Y two K in Turks and Caicos, right? Yeah. Was anybody nervous around that time? I don't think so. <laughs> to me, like they were nervous. I don't think anybody gave a crap. You know, to be honest with you. you know, right. As a matter of fact, the morning after the party, yeah, the village looked worse than when the hurricane came through. <laughs> Literally, can imagine. <laughs> we were all supposed to be up and in the main part of the village at like six thirty in the morning or something to start cleaning up. And we had canceled the scuba boats and stuff for the morning. We just going to run two boats out in the afternoon and just dive below the sites. So yeah, I got up at six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. We were stumbling into the middle of the village, and I'm like looking around, and there's nobody. And in a chase lounge out by the pool, I see a pair of legs hanging off the side of it. I'm like, I'm not even going over to have a problem with that. I turn around and went back to my room. I, <laughs> I got up at about 11 o'clock, went and got some lunch, did my afternoon dives and stuff. You know, that was the extent of it. But yeah, the place, the place was definitely worse than when the hurricane came through. Right, but the hurricane... No, the hurricane that did come through, though, I got to admit, it wasn't that bad. It was a lot of high winds. We lost a couple of trees and some ships off the roofs, and there was a lot of crap and, and debris, garbage just blowing all over the place. I came to find out a couple of weeks later that New Jersey actually got hit worse with that same hurricane than we did. It caused massive flooding in the town out by the Raritan River, and I think almost... Almost a full city block burned because gas lines ruptured and it just caught on fire. But yeah, it did a lot more damage in New Jersey than it did on Providencialis. It was funny. Your book is entitled Sex, Surf, and Sunburn, My Life Inside Club Med. And like I oh, said, yeah. you published that around 2005, correct? Because that's when I recall hearing about it. Am I right about that? I'm going to say 2004. I actually got it published. Okay, 2004. I think it's coming up. It's coming up on like 16 or 17 years. So. You, you wrote a follow-up book, right? Uh, what was the name of your yeah. follow-up book? Follow-up was called After the Party. That okay. didn't sell as well as the other one. It's not selling as well because no. word is out. It's kind of a somber book. It's not filled with all the funny stories and as much you know, sex, surf, and sunburn as the original one. So I think people are just staying away from them. They just want to have a good time. And, and not, but I think it was either the third quarter or fourth quarter of 2020, I passed the 10,000 mark on, on sales. Oh, really? Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's not breaking records. I'm not going to be oh, well, we'll, we'll, Don't worry. We're gonna put, I'm going to put the links in your podcast description. So if anyone who hasn't read it, then please, you're going to check it out, everyone, because uh, if you like Club Med, you'll like this book. I devoured it, and it was a great, great read. So, wow, I'm happy to hear yeah. that you, you passed 10,000. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be on the New York Times bestseller list. But, you know, it's getting <laughs> out there, and I'm really surprised because I haven't been advertising it, so it sells in spurts. So I guess it's like strictly, well, I would like to think it was people buying it to take on vacation and read down there. I have gotten emails from a couple of people that actually did that, and they thought it was fantastic because they're sitting by the pool getting a tan to read this book, and then they're actually looking at the specific setting where the book took place. Yeah. And yeah. they're just kind of like blown away by that, you know? And yeah. 
It's almost like people are acting it out for him. So, yeah. <laughs> you, uh, do you have, uh, I don't know if you dream, but do you have a recurring dream where you're still back working at Club Med? Because this happens to a lot of people. I'm just curious if. Uh... I only had one or two dreams about being back at Club Med. Uh, one of the guys I worked with, I stayed in contact with him well up until about a year or two years ago. We used to call each other a couple times a year. I know that for like seven, eight years after he left Club Med, he was still having nightmares about some of the stuff that happened. And quite possibly he had a slight dose of PTSD. I, I don't know. Last time I talked to him, he seemed to be better and he doesn't have those dreams anymore. So if anybody wants to find out what I'm talking about, by the name. You heard it. <laughs> yeah. In the book. Yeah. The uh, link will be in the, the description. So do not worry. I will post both of those for the ebook and soft cover. Cool. So uh, everyone, uh, yeah, no, I want to thank you for coming on, VJ. That uh, was very nice of you to tell your story. I really appreciate it, sir. Not a problem. Pleasure. Uh, thank you for asking me. Oh, thank you. All right, everyone. Uh, we will see you all next week. Bye.